It's today in Ohio for a Tuesday. We've got lots to talk about on the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi. We're all waiting for the rain to end, although the remnants of Hurricane Ian could be coming our way next weekend. What will we do with all that water? Let's begin. Is Ohio's unemployment office snake bit or are the people in charge of it, mainly the governor and lieutenant governor, simply incompetent? We talked at length in the first year of the pandemic about how the 2004 vintage computer system caused heartache for many thousands of people who needed unemployment benefits back then. The state promised to replace that computer system. And now, Lisa, what has happened? Well, to be fair, I think it's out of the government's control what happened here. But the Minnesota-based Sagitech, uh, which is the company, the vendor they were using to upgrade their computer system in the OG ODJFS, two of their partners, David Gerald Minkinen and Savaraman Sambasavam, were indicted in August in a West Virginia federal court. It's alleged that they stole trade secrets from their former employer, Deloitte, and then used those trade secrets to create the software program Neosurance that they were installing or supposed to install at ODJFS. They got the contract from Ohio in 2018. It was an $86 million contract. And as you said, this is a 2004 vintage computer system. It was all supposed to be done by next fall, but it's on hold because of the these indictments. Bill Teets, the spokesman for the for ODJFS, says it's unclear how long it will delay their project, but they might have to consider hiring another vendor if things don't work out. And in Kentucky, they've already done that. They had a, a similar contract with Sagitech to upgrade their creaky uh, unemployment benefit system, but they're reawarding their contract to another one because they didn't hear from Sagitech for months after their $40 million contract was awarded. And in a statement from Sagitech, they said, well, it was the company that wasn't indicted. Uh, yeah, a couple of our partners were indicted, but we weren't. And they say they're working with the feds on the investigation. What is it with the government and its inability to get good computer systems? We talked at length about Cuyahoga County's ERP system that ended up so far over budget you can't count, so late that it, it was it may as well not come at all. And then we didn't talk about it a week ago. They have a whole different computer system. They're abandoning 80% of the way in. It mm. just seems like the government doesn't have the IT expertise to find competent computer companies to serve their needs. This is a nightmare for unemployment. What if we get into a recession and lots of people again bombard the system with requests? Are we going to be back where we were? I mean, how many people did we hear from during that time that were in agony because they could not get benefits or answers? But to be fair, this is, and I've said this all along on many stories, including this one, is this is a, a complete IT failure. This is something that they, it's very expensive to overhaul a computer system, especially in a big department. I did it three times at MD Anderson Cancer Center with 12,000 employees. It's it, extremely expensive. There are a lot of crappy vendors out there, to be quite frank. So yeah, it's unfortunate that they picked the wrong one. But yeah, this is not an easy undertaking. It's interesting that you did it three times at MD Anderson, I bet, in the time window since they've had their 2004 system, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's government for you. It's today in Ohio. 
maybe he listens to the podcast. J.D. Vance has actually agreed to debate Tim Ryan in the battle for the Senate seat in Ohio. We talked yesterday about how we thought he wouldn't because he's so stiff. Laura, what are the details? Two Senate candidates' respective campaigns both said on Monday that they had agreed to these two debates next month, one in October 10th in Cleveland, another October 17th in Youngstown. And the Cleveland debate is going to be hosted by Channel 8 WJW. The debate in Youngstown, which is near Ryan's hometown in Trumbull County, is going to be hosted by the TV station WMFJ. There is a third possibility, October 4th in Hamilton, but Vance's campaign said that's impossible logistically, that they're not ruling out a third date somewhere at some time. It's odd to me that they've agreed to do it at these two TV stations. I mean, one is a Fox affiliate. I don't know if the other is where they wouldn't do it with the neutral Ohio Debate Commission. Just see, It just seems unusual to me that this is the way they're going. But at least it will. Well, will it be a debate? Do you know anything about the format? Or is it going to be question talking points like we saw in the City Club County Executives debate last week? They haven't released exactly how it's going to work. The Vance campaign was all against the debate commission because they said the director was a former Democrat. And so while they said he would have nothing to do with setting up the debate or choosing the questions, they're using that as the reason that they won't engage in that. All right. so, we'll, have, we'll have to see if this is a genuine debate where they get to to go at each other and, and confront each other and challenge each other and respond, or if it's just, what's your position on abortion? What's your position on X? And they just list their talking points, which I think voters find no use in. I thought Caitlin did a great job portraying the City Club debate last week as what it was, just a boring recitation of positions. I think that Ryan, the way he's answering questions, said he's he'll do it whenever, wherever. He's got a lot of things to answer for. I have a feeling Vance's campaign is going to be a little stiffer and stricter on their format. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The people who say that the county coffers are simply too dry to spend money on the decrepit courthouse keep spending from their $66 million in slush funds. Layla, what's the latest spending to come from the Cuyahoga County Council? Well, they queued up another $900,000 this week from the American Rescue Plan Act, according to our stimulus watch reporter, Lucas DiPrilli. And here's what it is. In District 1, where Councilwoman Nan Baker is the, the council representative, it's uh, $250,000 for renovations at the Global Ambassadors Language Academy. That's a charter school on West 125th Street. Councilman Marty Sweeney from District 3 is giving $225,000 to the West Shore Consolidated Dispatch Operational Plan, $100,000 to University Hospitals for its Pediatric Sexual Assault Nurse Examiners Program, and $100,000 for the Greenbrier Commons Facility Renovations Project. And then Sonny Simon from District 11 is giving uh, just under one hundred seventy-four thousand to the Lind to Lindhurst to buy snow removal equipment and fifty grand for renovations at the Cuyahoga County Animal Shelter. But you know, I mean, here's the thing: it's it's hard to argue that some of the slush fund projects aren't worth funding. I mean, mm -hmm. right? Because for for every for every three patronage projects, you stumble upon one that really does serve the entire community, like you know the sexual assault nurse examiners program at UH. But but those are just I feel camouflaging the many cases 
in which the money is not being used for its highest and best use for the county. Well, it's being used in in the most politically adv- advantageous way for the individual council member. Right. Right. Yeah. Th- their defense of their, you know, they built these in secrecy and did all sorts of things we've talked about. And their defense is, but these are good projects. The problem is. They don't really have the capacity to spend on things like this. It's like if your basement has has a leak and and you can't really use your basement. You you don't fix your basement if you don't have the money because if you use whatever money you have to fix the basement, you don't eat food, right? So they don't have money. They have a gigantic need in the courthouse. It's been decrepit pretty much for 25 years. That atrium has been leaking, I think, the entire time I've lived here. It's a mess. And they have that's basic county service. You've got to provide a working courthouse. So they've taken 60. They could have taken 66 million from the general fund, put it into a construction fund and used this money to replenish the budget because that's one of the legitimate purposes. But they didn't. They're just spending it willy nilly when they don't really have that capacity. It's the same thing with the 50 million they're spending on the MedMart. They, you know, they say, well, it's it's a white elephant. It just sits there. We got to do something with it. Not if you don't have the money. What's more important, a courthouse or the MedMart? And so now, as of last week, we know there is no money for the decrepit courthouse. And yet they continue spending on stuff like this. It's luxury versus necessity. Right. And, and, and it's, it's greasing palms, right? It's, it's, it's uh, forging those, those relationships with, with uh, mayors and things like that. And the, I, the most egregious example was the Parma Golf Course Clubhouse, right? Because in, in that case, we had, what was it, $4 million going to that project while the council person turned away the Rape Crisis Center because they're not in his ward when we know, yes, they are in his ward. They're in every ward or in every district. And in fact, we have since seen other council members pooling their money to fund other similar agencies that serve the entire county. But, you know, it it, it just, you know, it, it, it but that, it, that didn't serve that council person politically. And so it, it's not about serving the entire county. It's about serving the individual council members. That's what this, what these slush funds have become. And well, there, you know. there could be a contest for most egregious because it could be the dog park that the city didn't want. I, yeah, that's, <laughs> see, that's the thing. They thought that they were serving the mayor's wishes in that in that case and, and not at all the wishes of the community. And that's that I think, uh, you know, did, and that sailed right through. And as far as I'm aware, the troubling God. part of this is that nobody on that council spoke up to say, we shouldn't do this, that they all just took their money and ran with it. And you wish somebody would have said, can we have a discussion about fiscal responsibility? Taxpayers are feeling a horrible burden. We have some things we must do. We have to do something about children and family services because things aren't working there. We've got to build a jail probably or spend a lot of money on the old one. We need to do something about the courthouse. They didn't. They just secretly planned this, kept it, kept it, they didn't disclose it to the public for months. We had to ferret it out. And now they're spending this one-time money and, and meanwhile we have real needs. So that's why we keep talking about it. We'll keep putting out what they're spending it on and how they're spending it and what their other needs are. It's today in Ohio. After a season during which cord cutters could not watch the Guardians in this, their big season, there is better news for cord cutting Cavs fans. Lisa, what is it? 
Yeah, there's a new direct-to-consumer streaming service called Bally Sports Plus. They'll be carrying all the Cavs games, also Columbus Blue Jackets hockey and Columbus Crew soccer games. You can get it online at ballysports.com or their app. See, there's no need for a cable or streaming service. You just go directly to them to get this service. It's 20 bucks a month, 190 bucks a year for either Bally Sports Great Lakes or Bally Sports Ohio. If you want both, that's $30 a month and you get a free seven-day trial. The first Cav game on the uh, Bally Sports Plus platform will be the October 5th game against the Philly 76ers. And before this, only direct TV stream carried Cavs games. No Guardians games on Bally Sports Plus because they have existing TV deals that preclude that. Um, and, and Bally Sports Ohio and Bally Sports Great Lakes are part of a regional sports network or RSN. But the owner, Diamond Sports, is facing possible bankruptcy and they might have to sell to the Major League Baseball, the NBA, or the NHL. So yeah, if, you, if you're a cord cutter, you can get your Cavs games on Bally Sports Plus. I have heard from so many people that about their disappointment with what the Guardians did. The Guardians have a TV contract that really limits what people can see. And meanwhile, the Guardians complain that the fans aren't showing up. And the fans say, well, I couldn't follow the team because I couldn't get any kind of games on, on television. Laura, you've talked about this. You didn't have any access to Guardians games this year, right? Right. We have the MLB package because my husband is a Mets fan. And now since Francisco Lindor is a Met, my son is a Mets fan because he can watch the games. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a bizarre cause and effect. They complain they don't have any fans, but they make it almost impossible for people that are cord cutters to be fans because they can't watch the games. So good for the Cavs because they have what could be an exciting season with the team they've assembled. And maybe the Guardians will take a lesson from this for future seasons, at least. And we've been reporting this for the past couple of days. You can watch the Guardians in the playoffs much more easily than you could during the regular season Check out the details on that on Cleveland.com. It's today in Ohio. Speaking of the Guardians, they caught some criticism for how they dressed up in costume on their final road trip of the regular season. But is this a real controversy or is it sour grapes from Chicago fans whose team was obliterated by the Cleveland players? Laura? I think it depends on who you ask. There are definitely Clevelanders that are not happy with the team and said it was in pretty poor taste. I agree. I I did not realize until reading Joey Marona's story that this is a baseball tradition to dress up rookies in some kind of costume on the final road trip of the season. And his examples were superheroes, chickens, or cheerleaders. And instead, they're prison inmates in orange jumpsuits with a ball and chain. And there's 12 of them. And standing on either side are the catchers saying following tonight's contest officers hedgers and mail apprehended 12 of the most wanted rookies in baseball more information to come but ladies and gentlemen we got them and so that's this is on their twitter feed and i just in this day and age i don't know what is funny at all about posing people in prison garb and the extra insult if you want to take it there is that the catchers are white and then many of the rookies are people of color Oh, for yeah. Sakes. yeah, the optics were not great. Although I think they were playing on the idea that they're so good that they're the most wanted, it, but it didn't ring true. Chicago television stations, I mean, Chicago, I mean, think about it. Two weeks ago, Chicago had a chance to 
to win. If they they won some games against the Guardians, and the Guardians went on this incredible tear and just blew them out of the water, so they're they're despondent in Chicago because their team is not good. And so the TV station there made a big controversy out of this. They did, and they brought up all of the backstory about Wahoo and the Indians' name, yes. and I don't really see those as really connected here, but I. You know, this was obviously a pre-planned publicity stunt. Like they had to buy the, the costumes and everything. This wasn't a one-off. And I just, I wish somebody in the the front office had said, maybe this isn't, maybe we should go with chickens. Like, I feel like that'd be funnier. Well, hello, Lisa, do you find it uh, problematic? No, people have lost their sense of humor. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, it's kind of where I am. I, it's it's one where are you? Is this just something you're looking to be offended by? I mean, yes, it's not the best judgment, but is it really worth outrage? Is it is it does it rise to the level of stamping your feet and being outraged? Uh, it just it seems like everything is a cause of outrage now. Right, and you know, poor comedians—they don't even know what's funny anymore. You know, <laughs> it used to be cutting edge, and now you can't say anything without offending somebody. Yeah, it's it used to be you'd look at something like that and think, huh, that that that's a bit of a tin ear and move on and never think about it again. But I guess with the way it flew on social media, I don't think it's going to blow up into a major controversy. I I agree. Like, I'm not outraged by it. I just think that they could have. They could have thought this one through a little bit more. It was dumb, but, but lots of people do dumb stuff, and it doesn't stick to you. You're allowed to make dumb decisions once in a while. I know. I'll I remember make, that. Yes, I make plenty. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all out there for everybody to see. It's today in Ohio. The situation with the East Cleveland Police Department is a veritable disaster, with a large percentage of officers under indictment, including the chief. Reporter Corey Schaefer looked at the history of how many East Cleveland cops have been charged with crimes since 1998. And Olivia Mitchell looked at what the elected officials are now saying about the disaster that is the police department. Layla, what did they both report? Well, in the span of a month, seven current or former East Cleveland cops have been charged with crimes, including Chief Scott Gardner, and that amounts to 15% of their police force. But since 1998... Corey Schaefer reports that at least 23 East Cleveland police officers have been charged with criminal conduct while in uniform. And experts say that this could really point to a culture of corruption in the ranks. One expert who headed internal affairs for New York police for decades said that they typically expected 0.5% of the ranks to be involved in criminal behavior. So 15% is just a mind-blowing number for them. And The accusations these guys face range from theft in office to taking bribes, stealing guns and marijuana while on duty, fleecing drug dealers, stealing from residents, tampering with evidence, you name it. And Olivia Mitchell spoke to some city council members and she reported that that they feel really at a loss to deal with this. They're dismayed to see this happening to their police force. They're not sure what to do. Of course, if these officers are convicted, their history, they say, but but they said they need to, they need better screening tools to make sure that they're getting better candidates for these jobs and weeding out the the bad apples who have the propensity toward criminal behavior but it's it's really hard to recruit police anywhere and East Cleveland only pays its cops a starting salary of $35,000 a year and that's 
that's really not competitive. But so, I, but I would also argue there's a lack of discipline. It's they're cowboys over there. We've talked at length about their ridiculous chases that that they chase everybody and people go flying into other cities to get away. And one of the reasons they don't stop is because they don't want to get robbed by these guys. The word is out that these these cops are bad guys. And the city council can do something about that. The city council could pass a chase policy similar to Cleveland's that says you can't do it. And they don't. They've they've done laissez-faire, let the police department act as wild and crazy as it has. And once you have that kind of cowboy feel, then there are no limits. Why why should they feel like, well, why can't we steal? There's nobody watching us. We could do whatever we want. I think that from the mayor and the council, there's been no direction to curb this police chief I, and this police well, department. They, I disagree with that. They did pass a law. Remember the the poor girl who was hit walking to the library and died? It was a Cleveland police chief, chase, but they did erect a, a, enact a law after that. The problem is the mayor and the police chief never put it in action. So you have city council members that are like, we did, we did something and we can't get our own employees to follow what we said as yeah, the law. It's enforcement. What do you, so the chief is, the chief is under indictment now You've got a mayor who's being recalled. And do they have a, a civilian review board? I mean, do they have any kind of what what happens when you file a complaint there? What? Nothing. Right. 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 What, what I'm suggesting is, is if the city council, which is the legislative body, wanted to do something proactive about this, they could. They're throwing their hands in the air saying we're powerless to do anything, but they could create a civilian review board. They And they could do one where the mayor has nothing to do with it. They could pass legislation saying the city council is going to create the, the review board and then they'll appoint people to it and they'll do what it takes. They're not. They're, they, you know, this has been crazy for a few years now. I mean, the chases have been a problem for a long time. Our series last year really got into the details of it. It's not surprising to hear that these officers who are flying through neighborhoods, look, they're flying through South Euclid. They're flying through Cleveland Heights. They're, they're, they're chasing people left and right who are afraid because they don't want to lose their stuff or get falsely charged or something. It's a mess. I mean, we've talked about, it's almost would be better if East Cleveland was a township and the Mm -hmm. the sheriff was patrolling it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, stop being incorporated as a village, be a township, still have a council, still have some self-determination, but get out of the police business. Let the sheriff do the work. It's today in Ohio. Wi-Fi on buses? Cleveland Public Schools are stepping up the use of tech to help students. Lisa, this is a cool story. What are the details? Yeah, the Cleveland Municipal School District is adding Wi-Fi to all of their school buses. Uh, Curtis Timmons, who's the chief of the IT divisions there, calls it a complete journey of connectivity. And along with that, they're also going to be making the student ID badges universal access. Students can already use it on RTA buses, but now they will be able to use them at Cleveland libraries and in the future in a little big brothery move that they could use these badges to document absences and tardiness eventually. Also in classrooms, they've added what are called clever touch screens. They're huge interactive displays in the classrooms and students can Miracast. I actually had to look this up. Miracast means wireless connection between the sending device, the student's computer, and the receiver display, the screen. So they can move their work to the 
the screen. They can, uh, you know, record live demonstrations and classes and so on. And uh, yeah, so that's pretty exciting stuff. They're really, and I think this is part of Eric Gordon's legacy. When the pandemic happened, you know, the lack of Wi-Fi became terribly apparent, you know, so for so many Cleveland school kids, and they managed to connect 5,000 families with Wi-Fi hotspots last year, working with Digital C and Spectrum. So this is just kind of a continuation of, of getting these classrooms digital and connected, part of Gordon's legacy. Yeah, he showed off some of this stuff in his State of the School speech last week. And, and when we he said Wi-Fi on buses, we all kind of looked at each other like, wow, that's pretty cool. I mean, I, who would have thought of that? Um, and then the connections to the library sound good. It does raise questions about once Eric is gone at the end of the school year, will this kind of advancement continue? Ideastream reported a very disturbing meeting on Justin Bibbs' calendar last April, around the time that they were not moving forward with Eric's contract, in which the Haslams met with Bibb, along with their Tennessee representative who they've dealt with on charter schools. And it sounds like that meeting was very much about expanding charter schools, which is a very different approach to education. Yeah, it, but at least at least we're moving forward. I mean, Cleveland's been behind for so long. At least they're taking steps into the digital age. Yeah, you hope it continues. It's today in Ohio. Cleveland has had quite a run of filming for superhero movies, including the well-known Avengers. And now comes word of yet another. What does reporter Joey Morona say we can expect, Laura? We can expect maybe another big urban battle scene all of the Avengers in this Marvel movie. It's Blade, which is a reboot of the franchise made famous by Wesley Snipes in the late 90s. The crew's going to be in town for at least nine days, November 14th through the 22nd. Requires extras of all ages, races, and ethnicities, although I think it's 18 and up. And based on the length of the shoot, the variety of the background talent, the genre of the film, and Marvel's previous history, Joey Morona is saying he's seeing a pivotal action scene with a large crowd, Cleveland standing in for another city. So uh, maybe something really big blowing up on the street. Yeah, I mean, everybody remembers when Avengers took over downtown and then the, the scene in the movie was pretty spectacular. Uh, and we had Spider... Was it Spider-Man 2? One of the millions Three, of Spider-Man movies. Yeah. yeah, there's so many. And, but... But that that did all sorts of cool like car stunts and things on so, the highway, right? And always, I guess you do always get the complaints here. from people who say, "I can't get to work, I can't get to work." But it it is kind of a cool thing. I agree, and I guess Spider Man had a had a shorter window like this one, whereas the Avengers was here a lot longer. And I've got to say, it might be one of the few Marvel movies I've seen all the way through because I was checking out for Cleveland. <laughs> but uh, filming lasts 10 to 12 hours a day. The rate is $92 plus overtime after eight hours. And I was actually going to say, oh, how cool would it be if we could get a reporter in to be an extra? But then I realized exactly how tight-lipped and the the forms you have to fill in to not say anything. So it's not like we could have a reporter go and, and tell everybody what it's like. No, I remember when we got the the shot of two of the characters kissing, kissing! or something. Yes, the, we put it on the front page. Yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty big deal from one of the Avengers movies. So you're, you're not an Avengers fan then, Laura? Does this surprise you? Yeah, the more, more the Virgin River kind of watching. <laughs> I have never seen that show. <laughs> All right, you're listening to Today in Ohio. 
Layla, you bemoaned the permanent closing of Top Thrill Dragster at Cedar Point a few episodes back, partly because your daughters would never now experience the terror of waiting to be rocketed <laughs> to the top. But are we seeing signs that another version of the ride will replace it and fulfill your dream for your daughters? <laughs> Well, this story by Susie Glazer about the fate of the dragster was so interesting. She says that since the announcement that they would be closing it down, everyone has been speculating about what what will replace it and, and that early signs suggest that they might be making alterations to the ride with plans to reopen it with a new name for the ride, a new theme, new trains, and, and a new queuing area farther away from the track and a new launch system that would make it a much more dependable ride that isn't as prone to shutdowns and disruptions. So the clues that lead to that conclusion include the initial tweet from Cedar Point in which they said that the ride would be retired as you know it. Compare that to how they shut down the Wicked Twister and said it would be closed for good. But also they've erected this really tall fence around the base of the ride and folks who peeked past it said they've observed alterations being made to it, including the removal of these retractable brakes along the launch track. The ride's hydraulic launch system propels riders up and over a 420-foot high hill at a speed of 120 miles per hour. But it has hundreds of parts that can malfunction. And let me just say, I have waited four hours in line for this ride just to be turned away when the thing malfunctioned and they had to shut it down. So yes, it's a very it is very prone to malfunctioning and very finicky. But anyway, the the likely alternative to the hydraulic launch is something known as a linear synchronous motor launch powered by magnets and with far fewer parts. If you've ever ridden the Maverick at Cedar Point, which is my favorite ride there, it's powered by this LSM launch system. So there are some questions around whether the LSM launch system would have enough power to propel trains over the ride's enormous hill. And apparently the rate of acceleration of the magnet launch is less intense than the hydraulic launch. So that would be kind of disappointing because like I described on a previous podcast, the launch of the dragster is unlike anything else at Cedar Point. You go from zero to 120 in under four seconds. I mean, you're just blasted, blasted forward. But it's apparently being used on a coaster called Red Force at Ferrari Land in Spain, which has a top speed of 112 and reaches a height of 367 feet. So it could be enough to do to do the job. Uh, but yeah, other, I don't really see how else you can modify that ride. It is so, so distinctive. So the launch system probably is what they're, what they're changing about it. So powerful magnets, maybe they can give you an MRI while you're racing through the ride. <laughs> it's, I need one. We'll have to get, well, Susan is on top of this. So if there's a development, we'll surely know about it. It's today in Ohio. That's it for Tuesday. Thank you, Lisa, Laura, and Layla. And thank you for listening to the podcast. We'll be back on Wednesday. <laughs>